Okay, um, it's a pleasure to share with you this morning. Um, the title of that I'd given was, uh, Can I Please Have Your Ear? Um, I don't really think um, the be- that's actually the best name for it. Probably the best name is Intimate Conversations, but I didn't really know what image that might conjure up in, in people's minds, so I confess I, I played it safe. Okay, but let's start with a couple of scriptures. James, in James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And Hebrews 10.24, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Okay, so those two scriptures are really the basis of what I want to share with you this morning, which is around having a close quality and close relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ uh, for the mutual benefit uh, of growing in your walk with Christ, achieving the plans and purposes that he has for you, and to experience the joy and satisfaction that comes from being known well and loved by those uh, both in your church community and outside the church community. And I believe that is what God desires for us, that each of us would have the inner satisfaction of being loved at a deep level and and accepted at deep levels of who we are. Not just who we are, but deep levels of who we are. You know, those bits of us where the, the saying goes, where the sun doesn't shine, perhaps you'd say. But, um, yeah. And you see the intention in the first seven words, therefore you confess your sins to one another. And the whole idea of confession is, is quite familiar with me. I was raised a Catholic, as I guess some of you were, and one of the sacraments they had was one called penance, and you went into the church, and there was, uh, there was three boxes. The priest went into the middle one, and uh, the parishioners went either side, and it was all dark and all nice and anonymous, and they opened just a little little thing so the priest could speak to that one, and when he'd dealt with that, he'd shut that and turn the other one on. And you'd tell him what your sins were, and uh, he would give you a penance, which was usually to spend some time in prayer, and uh, yeah, and the priest would absolve you of your sins, and you'd be away. Um, if they didn't do it in the church, sometimes they came to my school, and they what they did was that the priest would be sitting looking this way, and um, you'd come, in, you'd be looking that way, and you come in behind him, and as he spoke to you there, and you'd kneel down and you say, you know, uh, and so I did that once when I was about twelve, and uh, I came and I knelt down, and I said, "Bless me, Father, for I have sinned." It is three months since my three months. And he turned on me, and I wanted the floor to open up, and I wanted to die, you know, because he knew who it was that hadn't been there for three months, and he knew my parents, and, you know, every time he saw me, I was probably going to be the guy that hadn't been to to church or confession for ages. But what he did was uh, he, he fingered my anonymity, and I didn't like it. I felt really humiliated by it. It was awful. And as we look at those, those words again, therefore confess your sins to one another, you know, a lot of us think, whoa, uh, who is this each other that we're going to confess our sins to? Don't think I'll be confessing my sins to just anybody. I'm going to need to know them really well. Um, in fact, I don't know if I'll be sharing much of who I am with other people at all. I'm, I'm not casting my pearls before swine. In fact, I'm not casting my pearls before anyone. Um, I'm actually not that flashed on telling others about my sins, actually, or a whole lot of other thoughts that I have. You'll only squeeze those out of me under deep levels of torture, like forcing me to watch reruns of Shortland Street or something like that. (laughs) But the thing is, the pearls, that is the things we hold preciously, and where the pearls have been hidden, actually make up a lot of the real me. 
And a lot of those pearls aren't actually things of beauty at all, which is why, really, that they're hidden there. There's a lot of them that I'm actually not that proud of, and I don't want to share them because, well, they'll mess with the picture that I really want you to have of me. You may think I'm bigoted or conceited or racist or have unforgiveness or I'm battling with a sin or any of those sorts of things, and I'm not sure I really want you to know that. Um, uh, I want you to see me really as the guy who's on top of things, pretty happy, coping ab- adequately with the ups and downs of life, um, tolerant, even when someone does a dirty on me on the motorway, that I'm all right with that, and that generally life is sweet. And I think that, that is what we all do. The problem with is that alongside all those lovely pearls is another one, and that is that actually I'm a bit of a sham. And is it, uh, sorry, and within that, my self-esteem, my self-confidence, and my self-worth are really a little bit different to what I show. And uh, you know, I'm sure you're all familiar with that poem, "The Man in the Mirror." But let's just have a look at it. Thanks. And it says, "When you get what you want in your struggle for self, and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say." For it isn't your father or mother or wife on whose judgment you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts the most is the one staring back from the glass. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's the one with you, clear to the end, and you passed your most difficult, dangerous test if the man in the glass is your friend. You may fool the world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if cheated the man in the glass. We have a dilemma. Because as I said before, I believe in each one of us given by God is a desire to be known and accepted at really deep levels. But down on our deep levels are the things that we don't really want to share. A lot of those things can be really powerful. It could be humiliation, that someone made you look a fool, you did something you deeply regret. Perhaps you're not happy with God, you're angry at him or angry at the world or you made a flippant remark that caused pain in others. And these things are very real. And to get to the point where you'd be willing to bring it out in the open is um, into the light of day where there's risk is, isn't easy and there is risk involved. But as Christians, I think it's important. I think it's really important that we must look at that. If someone was to ask you, you know, how is your relationship going with God? You know, how's your prayer life? How's, uh, you know, you enjoying the gifts of the Spirit or even more so the fruits of the Spirit? How's it all going for you? Would you have one answer or two? Would it be something like, God's great. I feel loved by him always. Some of the circumstances that come my way are really trying and test me, but I just trust he's beside me in all that I do. I'm praying about things. I've been praying about some of them for ages, but look, I just know he's good, and it's all going to happen in his time. Or would it be some words about my relationship with God? Well, good, thanks. But underneath, I'm actually disappointed in God because of this prayer not answered or this reversal that happened to me. I've been dumped on. And I felt he hasn't been there for me in the ways I thought or some other reason. And what happens with these emotions is if we carry them for a while, they start to harden. And we have a hardness of heart. It erodes our belief and our confidence in him. Yeah, I, I love Jesus and, uh, and I always will. But if actually I've lowered my expectations, I actually find my walk actually a wee bit of a slog. And, uh, a slog of faith and walk of faith. 
and I don't feel a whole lot of the joy of peace that is talked about. I'm kind of stuck, but I'm carrying on. That was me 25 years ago. I was stuck. I didn't really like this walk of faith or how it was going, wasn't going as I thought it would, and I wanted to bail. <laughs> Problem was, I couldn't because I had received a touch from God. I knew that I had the deposit that, you know, the, of the Holy Spirit that guarantees our inheritance. I had that. But I didn't like where he was going, as I say, and what was happening with him. Um, I actually felt like a little bit like Jesus, as was mentioned in John 6, when the people started to leave him, and Jesus turned to the disciples and said, well, what about you? Are you going to leave also? And they said, well, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I knew that. Uh, so what was I going to do? I guess it was best summed up that it became... Uh, yeah, no, sorry, I care. Um, I'm going to use paper next time because it's easier. Sorry about that. But as you can see, I'm still here, and I'm in a much better place. And what has caused that to change? Well, actually, it was being vulnerable about my doubts and disappointments, mostly to my wife, who is a faithful prayer, but also to others. Did I like it? No, I didn't. It was, you know, I don't trust people easily as a rule. You know, I didn't like it at all. But it gradually came through many conversations and prayer that my views of God changed and my expectations of him or in him became a lot more grounded. Probably best summed up that it actually became more about him and less about me. And I just want to share with you, um, if I could, just how I generally start my prayer times these days now that I've moved on a bit, is that I start with saying, as was also been said this morning, God, you created the heavens and the earth. Everything under heaven belongs to you. Everything is by your purpose and your design. And part of your plan was a guy called Bruce McKevitt, or any one of you. You made him a raging ginger, but that's okay. <laughs> but I totally exist only because of your plan. I'm yours. The carpet I'm kneeling on is yours. The house I'm walking around in, the car I drive is yours. They're just the resources that you have given to me. My wife is yours. She's a wonderful resource that you've given me. You are the potter, I am the clay. Help me to allow you to mould me according to your purposes today. And that's just that side of thing. Then you roll into the fact that actually the potter came down to earth and the, the clay did disgraceful things to him, even unto him, under death. Isn't he a good God? Isn't he a good God? So each of us, you're an eternal being. You will live forever. You were part of his plan. He wanted you. And the key for me was being honest and being vulnerable and allowing others to hear my fears and doubts. Just like to say that when I was um, appointed to eldership, I went to one of the pillars who had been a, a retired um, a minister because I needed to, to have someone that I could um, bounce off things about, you know, the, the highs and the lows and the problems of being an elder and all that. And I come, sometimes I came to this place and I thought, gosh, he's, you know, with something I was thinking about, and he was, I thought, he's going to say, gosh, he's thinking like that or doing that, and he's a leader of this church. Um, that's kind of how I felt. But it wasn't like that at all. He supported me. He helped me through my fears. Um, and that's been so invaluable, uh, his love and acceptance of me. It's, and it's actually so liberating as well. My fears are actually normal. He would say, you know, let's put these thoughts, these problems before God. You're okay, Bruce. 
And one of the most deeply satisfying feelings in it all is the realization that with all your warts and your self-centeredness, that you are loved by other people and by God. Yeah. You see, if you choose to keep things to yourself, we become what's a term around called self-referencing, referencing yourself. What it means that if you're not talking to anyone about the thoughts or emotions you're having, you're actually left with only yourself as your gauge of whether your thoughts or your opinions or your emotions, whether your responses to others are right or wrong, whether you're overacting or not or anything like that, or have even heard the facts. You've only got your own self as a guide for that, and that's it's so limiting. If I did not have particularly Jeanette, but also several other male figures to bounce my ideas off, moderate my opinions, encourage me to face my fears, to confront when I don't want to, to give me better perspective, and to love me when I confess my sins and failings, my life actually would be quite a mess and I'd have a whole lot of screwy thoughts. I'm just, but you know, what I've found in it all is I've never had a judging response. They have always responded in love. And that's the way it tends to be. Um, I guess those of you who are married, um, it didn't take a long until you're into married life that actually what true love is about is that someone loves you for your bad bits rather than your good. And that's the sign of a true friend. Somebody loves you for your bad bits as well as your good ones. Um, and it was such a relief, actually, to have told other people my, my problems. It was so unburdening, and it provided anchors for my doubts, and it helped build my personal integrity, because that was actually one of the keys. I was sick of having what I considered was a thin veneer of personal integrity. I hated it, and I, you know, and I needed to deal with it. Sometimes, actually, you do get feedback when you're, when you're not asking for it. Um, a couple of years ago, when I started coming up here a bit more, my dear son would pull out his thing and start making notes for me. And then he'd drop around in the afternoon and just tell me what they were, the good, the bad, and all that. Oh, I was happy with the good, but hey. You know, and I didn't ask for it either, but fortunately most of it was, uh, it was really useful stuff and I actually appreciated it. Yeah. So if we come back to James 5.16, I'm actually much more comfortable now with confessing my sins to one another and I have been in relationships which I have really felt has stirred me on, has spurred me on. But there are many other scriptures that indicate the value of deep sharing relationships. Great. Proverbs 13.14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Proverbs 17.17, 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Or woman, that's a promise keeper's one there. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And lastly, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. The key to it all is our willingness to share, to be vulnerable, and that's not easy at all. In fact, it can be quite painful. There's an American Christian woman called Brené Brown, who some of you may have heard of, who has a PhD in social work, and over the last 12 years, she's been involved in research on a range of topics, including vulnerability, 
courage, research on courage, research on worthiness and on shame. And she actually has a TED talk, which I'd be happy to give you the link, called The Power of Vulnerability, the Power of Vulnerability which has been watched 22 million times. A few of those were by me. But one, yeah, one of her conclusions that came from it was the degree by which people were able to embrace vulnerability depended on their sense of worthiness. Will I be worthy of your love or your support or care if I let you know who I really am? What she found was that those who kind of had an inner sense of love and belonging believed they were worth a sense of love and belonging. And conversely, those who had a fear that they were not worthy of connecting with other people tended to stay out of connection. Those who did have a sense of worthiness also had the courage to be imperfect, compassion to be kind to themselves first, then to others, and the courage to let go of who they should be in order to be who they were. Say that again. The courage to let go of who they thought they should be or who they should be in order to be who they were. They also fully embraced vulnerability because they believed that what made them vulnerable also made them beautiful. Vulnerability was neither comforting but nor was it shaming. It was a necessary and integral part of life. And it's true, isn't it? None of us escape vulnerability. It's a part of life. How do we respond to it? And embracing it is actually embracing an opportunity for growth. In fact, I believe it's vital for growth. But feeling worthy can be an elusive thing and not easily gotten. I just want to encourage you in one way, in part, on one level. We have the things in our past that we dislike and are ashamed of and all those things. But in a sense, on one level, they actually don't matter at all. They just don't matter. And that's not to say you're not sensitive to the pain and suffering they have, but in a sense, they don't matter. You know, Whatever you have done, whether it be dumb decisions, destructive things, or, or things you've gone through, in one sense, they don't matter. Um, I was uh, talking a while back to a woman who um, had been in an abusive relationship and uh, as she came out of that, she actually had a couple of children and she said, you know, there were two or three years when I actually just went into a, a drug and alcohol fog with my life and I'm deeply ashamed of it. And I said, look, it doesn't matter. It's just your story. You know, let's go to where you are now. What can we do to minimize the shame that you feel and embarrassment so that you can go on and grow on? What can we do about that? As I pondered this, I wondered um, what would happen if Jesus was to come through the doors right now. And I wondered, and I pondered, wondered what people's responses would be. And as I thought about it, I thought, will there be one response or will there be two? The first response would be those, as soon as he came in, they'd leap out of their chair and they'd go and knock him over in their um, desire to, to embrace him and to be with him. But then I thought, would there also be others that actually would just stay in their seat? And they might say something along the lines of, um, well, um, it's nice to see that you're here, Jesus, but I, I don't feel quite ready to see you. Um, would you come back next week? And, and I promise I'll be ready then. You know, Kind of the Peter response, you know, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, I'm not quite ready. What would Jesus do if he came in? Well, I believe he would embrace, of course, each of those who are over there knocking him over. Then he would come over to everybody still in their seats and to each one he would look at them and say, 
don't tell me you're not worthy. You are. To me, you were worthy of dying for, including the stuff that you're carrying that keeps you hidden from me and from others. You are worthy. And I believe that someone here needs to hear that today. You are worthy, full stop, in God. And Jesus would say, um, yeah, you are acceptable to me. I love you. Please keep working on your issues with me. I'm actually okay with that. Um, but I want you to use the people I've placed around you because this is how I do it, by relationships. Um, I do it by relationships. In them is the fullness of life. In them is being accepted and understood. In them is freedom. Tell them, tell these people about your issues with me or other things that make you feel rubbish about yourself or whatever other things are stunting you, um, stunting your relationship with me or with others. Just like to say that it is the elders' intention to really encourage people building close relationships with each other, that each of us has a someone or someones who's covering our back, that as you, for us as a church, you know, there shouldn't be, as a church family, there should be no one who feels left out or lonely or unaccepted. It just it shouldn't be. And, uh, yeah. So what do we need for this to happen? Well, we need to find someone who we would find entirely trustworthy, has experienced the maturity to handle what to you are really difficult things to say, to share, sensitivity towards these things, someone who will commit to you for the long haul, someone who will be an advocate for you before God, and someone who will commit to your transformation. And if at the moment you don't have anyone that's filling that role, I just encourage you to go before God and ask him, is there someone here who can be an advocate, a prayer partner, or a trusted friend, something like that? Then if you get a name of someone, just to act on it, to go and have the courage to ask that person and say, uh, you know, can we start meeting together on a monthly basis just to pray and to share and begin building together? Just as an aside to this, I recently read a book by Elizabeth Elliot, who was the wife of Jim Elliot, who went to the Alka Indians as mission and was killed there. She married a second time, and her husband, after some time, died of cancer. She married a third time. She wrote a book. She was a prolific writer, and she wrote a book called The Path of Loneliness, which explores loneliness across a huge spectrum. But one thing she brought out was she said, often people, when they get married, they're surprised to find after some time that they're lonely. How can this be? And she said that um, while uh, you just get right, um, she says that she found this as well, and none of the three husbands that she had were able to cover all the areas in her life, and they were all really godly men, all really keen to another. So, um, so you know, we need also someone to our, of our own gender to, to share with as well. Now, in saying that, I'm just looking at the jokers that you don't use as an excuse to go out with the boys every second day or anything like that, but uh, at all, yeah. As I said before, if I didn't have Jeanette, particularly Jeanette, and also several other male figures to bounce my ideas off, I don't know where I'd be. It's been critical to my growth with God and also with how I feel about myself. The last thing I want to share is that there's actually a real joy um, in helping someone who looks to you and help them on the journey. And to that, can I just share some texts with you that I uh, recently had um, with a guy, and I've cleared it with him, so he, um, he's allowed me to share them. But he texted me and he said, um, I'm just wondering if you would pray for me. 
After four weeks of totally no thought indulgence of bad thoughts, I'm finding a couple of slipping through. I really want to keep them out for good. And so I went back and said, yep, I sure will. Keep, uh, just, yeah, keep speaking to the new man to drown out the old and put on the robes of righteousness. We battle, not against flesh and blood. And in a while later, I said to him, well, how are you going? How are the thoughts? And he came back and he said, look, I'm doing okay, thanks. There's just one particular thing that I've watched from the past that has been tough to put away, and it keeps coming up. Truth coaches are fine, but these particular thoughts are proving quite sticky. I just went back and said, well, you know, good on you, man. Keep fighting the good fight. Victory is yours, and it will come. And uh, he came back and he said, thanks. I texted you to help myself with it, really, as much as well as get encouragement. There is something in telling people that takes the pressure out of it. Let me say that again. I texted you to help myself with it, really, as well as get encouragement. There is something in telling people that takes the pressure out of it. What do I think of this guy's weakness? Do I think he's got a weakness that's a real problem all that? No, I really admire him for the courage to say, I have a problem, could you help me with that? And that, to me, is actually the real joy. When someone comes to you and says, here is part of my precious bit, would you take that for me? Would you guard it and guide it? And for me, there is, there's virtually no bigger buzz at all. It gives it, it's an incredible joy. But I also believe that it's what God intended for us to have, relationships of depth and richness. So I come back to the title was, um, Can I Please Have You Ear?, I guess what I wanted that to morph into is that someone might come up to you and say, would you be willing to walk with me in this journey of life?